0: Perhaps you've ever taken time to notice the way children learn. I have a few toddlers running around my home, and um, some of the things they learn, I wonder where they learn them from. Um, I question their uh, growth and knowledge sometimes. Do you consider toddlers, though, their behavior, their mannerisms, the way they speak, the very fact that the way a child learns to speak? They don't take classes, you know. You don't take your one-year-old to school to teach them how to talk uh, or how to, really, how to walk. All of these type of behaviors, uh, they learn intuitively uh, by learning around there. So the way a parent speaks or the way a parent behaves, right? We've all seen the the pictures of the or, or seen the little cute girl run around, you know, holding the phone, talking on the phone, right? You don't teach a child to, to use an iPod or an iPhone, right? They just pick them up and they can use them. Like my one-year-old, like he could. I remember like you give him their phone and he'd like swipe the buttons and press them and open it up and turn the phone off. He could, he could do all those things, right? Well, where did he learn how to do those things? How, how did he uh, get to use this piece of technology or begin to speak or, or begin to walk? Well, friends, it's by example. By seeing it, you ever consider the the way you talk is because that's the way your parents talk, you know. So if you got an accent or something like that, you know, and you you carry that in your life because either your parents talk like that or the people around you talk like that as you were growing up. You, it's not till you move to other parts of the country that it really becomes apparent that well. You don't talk like everybody else does, right? Uh, people talk differently in different parts of the country. It's fascinating to see language in particular or behavior and how those things are picked up just by modeling them, either by hearing them or seeing them. We begin to behave by like those around us. Perhaps you're like that. You begin to pick up the mannerisms or the language of those that you work with, uh, the people that are you're around most do you begin to speak like them and think like them. Well, brothers and sisters, what's so fascinating is that the God of the universe, the one who threw the stars in the sky, the one who created the universe, he leveraged this reality, this truth about us as his creation. Right? He created us. And he created us to learn that way, to grow that way, and to develop that way. And he leaned into that and leveraged that in order to build his church. That is, Jesus Christ would use this type of learning, learned behavior, this type of emulation that we so naturally are prone to do, emulating those around us, looking like those around us, talking like those around us, behaving like those around us, in order to gather followers who would speak like Him, and think like Him, and talk like Him, and Do the things that He did. We call this making disciples. Making disciples. Imagine for a minute that Jesus, He didn't come to earth and preach sermons. He did that. He he preached a message, a particular message about particular things that God was going to do. Jesus didn't come and, and put on skits and plays. Jesus didn't write a book you do any of those things. Jesus lived his life with 12 dudes, day in and day out. He showed them how to pray. Remember, the disciples came to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, can you teach us how to pray? Jesus says, this is how you pray. Let me Let me not only tell you, but then let me show you. Jesus, how do we share the gospel with others? How do we evangelize? How do we how do we take the gospel to the nations? Jesus, let me show you how to do that. And Jesus modeled that for them. He would regularly speak to others about the gospel. How do we to love others, Jesus? How do we to love our neighbors as ourselves? Let me show you. Jesus walked to the woman at the well. He showed her what true love looks like, and then ultimately. The earlier followers of Jesus learned how to be disciples by following Jesus. They learned to speak and think and act like Him. And they followed Jesus wherever He went. Wherever He slept, there they were. Wherever He ate, there they were. Even to the point of His death, Jesus' disciples were learning to pick up their cross, follow Him to their death. you ever considered that that is how God has purposed to build His church? Through that regularly modeling, that one-on-one life that Jesus so simply shows us in the Gospels, where He lived life among broken people in order to give them the message of reconciliation and to show them how to faithfully follow God. Brothers and sisters, that's what we want to think about this morning. Two weeks ago, we began sort of a short three-part series. This is number three in that three-part series. Two weeks ago, we began by looking at a very familiar passage in the Great Commission. And we saw there where Jesus had laid out for us uh, that, that responsibility, that mission that we are to be on. We considered really over this last three weeks four questions. You know why I did that. Three weeks, four questions, but either way. The first was discipling. What is discipling? And then in that first week we considered what it is and why we should do it. Last week we considered uh, then sort of where we do it. In asking that and answering the question, what is discipling? We considered that the invitation to follow Jesus is evangelism. And I just want to be very clear right here. Maybe I wasn't clear before. Evangelism, sharing the gospel, is is a part, a subpart of disciple-making, okay? Sometimes you share the gospel, they don't follow the message. They, they reject the message, right? But it's, evangelism is still a part of making disciples. Uh, so evangelism is us sort of inviting people to follow Jesus, and then you're following Jesus' discipleship, right? And that's usually what we think about when we think about disciple-making. We think about discipleship. Right Sunday school, training union, Wednesday night, discipleship. right Discipleship is our following Jesus. And then a subset of that is our modeling for others and helping them do the same, which we call discipling, I-N-G, which is really what we've been focusing on, discipling. That is inviting others to follow us as we follow Jesus. Saying, look, I'm on a road to the celestial city. I'm on a journey. Will you join me in that journey? Consider how often Paul uses that language of, I'm running a race or I'm on a journey. We heard it today in Philippians 3. It's because Paul was specifically doing something. He was going somewhere. But but Paul was never going somewhere without somebody. Consider even in a negative sense, John Mark who... He, he was kind of a, a, a little bit of a problem for Paul and so Paul, Paul sent him home Paul says John Mark isn't obeying me so therefore he needs to go home Peter you deal with it um, and uh, John Mark got himself straightened up and he he got back connected with Paul again but Paul never did anything without inviting others into a relationship and him showing them how to follow Jesus and so we think of really two big ones in, in the New Testament Titus and Timothy so much so that that Paul calls Timothy his son in the faith, right? To indicate the kind of intimate relationship he would have. So, so in short, discipling is your deliberate, you're deliberately helping others, deliberately helping others to faithfully follow Jesus in your life. So it's not something we do passively, it's not something we just kind of fall into, but it's something we wake up and say, today, I'm gonna call people to follow Jesus as I follow him in my life. And then we considered the reasons why we do that, because Jesus has authority over all things. Right? That makes all of that's the foundational piece. And then last week we spent our time considering a third question: Where should this happen? What's the context? Right? Where does disciple making take place? Where Where does this discipling process happen? And we we came to understand in Matthew twenty eight eighteen that we are to make disciples among the nations through the local church. Jesus says, "Go to the nations." And you do that through the Bride of Christ. So we, we considered how this gathering right here this morning, the, the, the primary focus of what we're doing here this morning is to give God glory by making disciples. And so every part of our service is meant to teach, is meant to help you follow Jesus. Uh, in the prayers that we pray, right, we, we hope to model for you the words to pray on your own. We're giving you words to take home, to kind of put in your tool belt and to pull out. And so when you're at home praying a prayer of praise, you have words to, 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 to kind of put with what you're thinking. Or, or when you're trying to petition God or confess sin, we're trying to give you language to do that. right? And then clearly through the regular preaching of God's Word is that primary means. Now this week we want to consider a final question. And, and really the, the practical. i try tried, tried to be very practical throughout. This will probably be the most practical of all the messages, although I, I have some foundational pieces I want you to have uh, before to just kind of getting into the how-to stuff. But, but we want to think about how do we make disciples. I said three weeks ago, the reason why you don't make disciples is because no one discipled you. No one discipled you. In fact, if you are a disciple-maker... If you're someone in your life who's regularly discipling people, I would probably guarantee it's because someone discipled you. Now, I'm kind of one of those guys who I disciple others, not because I was discipled. The reason why I think my faith kind of stalled out in my teenage years, in my early adult life, was because no one was discipling me. It was because no one was helping me follow Jesus. Everybody just kind of said, hey, do this thing and walk, get wet and do that thing and have fun good luck following Jesus. No one showed me what it meant to raise children in line of the gospel of Jesus Christ. No one showed me how to faithfully love my wife in the midst of difficulty. Nobody modeled that for me. Nobody showed that. It wasn't until later in life there were some men who were able to kind of come in and speak into that and say, hey, look, come in and, and, and follow me as I follow Christ. And so friends, I know what it feels like to try to figure out this Christian life without others. And I don't want that for you. Because I am convinced, not only through experience, but through, most importantly, God's Word, that you cannot be a Christian long without other Christians in your life. And I don't mean just having just friends that are Christian. I mean having some brothers and sisters who are Christians, some some dads in the faith, and some moms in the faith, to help you follow Jesus. Faith will be, be weak at best or worse worst of the way. You're considered why those young people who make professions of faith don't ever get to adulthood as Christians? Primarily it's because their profession was false, but secondarily it's because we never discipled them. We just say, hey, go to Sunday school and have a good time. I mean... I hope you've seen that Sunday school. I, 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 you know, I stepped on your toes about Sunday school last week. I don't mean to do it again this week, but, but, but you know, that that's not the that's. The, you don't just go there and that's it. Like, oh, I'm done. I did my discipling this week and my disciple making this week. I mean, Jesus didn't just call crowds together once a week. He didn't just invite his disciples together once a week. He lived with them in everyday life. He was in their mess. And in their junk. And he he knew all about their problems. You ever consider why he picks on Peter so much? Because he knows Peter's problems. And he's not afraid to expose them. See, he knew Peter was a, a kind of proud guy. He knew Peter because he lived with Peter. He heard what Peter said. He, he listened to the way he talked. So he called Peter out. Oh, you're not going to deny me? I know you, Peter. I know you better than you know yourself. So so that intentional life-on-life life ministry is how the local church is supposed to be and how the church grows into hell. So let's think about how. I hope you're convinced that discipling is how, you know, what we're supposed to be doing. I, I hope you see that. But again, I think you know, having some tangible things to kind of say, okay, that's great, Pastor. That's great. I want to do that. How do I do that? What does that look like? Because it sounds really frightening. Like, you know, I got my bubble and I have my space and I don't like people being in my space. Well, friend, I'm with you, okay? Uh, I'm right there with you. I've got space too. You've got to have boundaries in life, you know? Uh, I know sometimes people drive me crazy and, and, you know, just need some time alone, right? But perhaps that's the cross you need to carry. Perhaps that's the cross you need to carry in your life where you say, you know what? Yeah, I I get really emotionally and physically drained when I'm around other people, but you know what? I'm going to endure that for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you know? Perhaps you're one that doesn't invite anybody over to your house unless it's to the condition that the president of the United States could be at, right? You grew up that way. I grew up that way, right? You, you, You know, your house was always prepared for the president to come. That's how I grew up. That's how my children live because that's how I grew up, right? Uh... My my children live in constant you know cleaning mode because the president could come at any moment at our house right we're prepared for that but but maybe that's you maybe you're like you know the house has to be in order it has to be perfect you know no toys out you know the dog has to be cleaned all those kind of things before anyone comes in our home. Well, that could be a barrier to you discipling someone else or perhaps. You think your life has to be perfect. Not only does your home have to be perfect, but your life has to be perfect. Oh, Pastor, you don't understand. Like, I'm a mess. I got problems. I'm a sinner. And like, nobody needs to be following me because I'm a sinner. No, people need to be following exactly because you're a sinner. Listen to this. People need to see you fail. And then because you're a Christian, right, you're going to repent of that sin and you're going to confess that sin. People need to see that. Your children need to see that. Your your your, your grandchildren need to see that. Your, 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 your they need to see that. They need to see your sin. Don't try to cover up your sin. Only Jesus can cover your sin. But see, when we actively live a life of humility before others, where we're free to be you know kind of a mess. Case you know just kind of say like, hey, I'm a mess here, and and you know, I got a lot of problems. Or, I mean, do you not ever consider how helpful it would be for a young married couple to see you have a gospel-centered argument with your spouse? No, I mean, really seriously. I mean, if you if you were married, you maybe you're a widow, or you had arguments with your spouse, right? I mean, everyone. But but there are Christian, you know, husbands and wives who have arguments, and then there's the non-Christian ones. Right? We're hoping ours are sanctified. Like you know, we can have a good argument. At the end of the day, we still love each other. We're not like you know, leaving. But right? you don't know how far that goes for a young couple, or or a single mom, or a single dad to see you loving your children, or your grandchildren. Friends, this is so practical. It's not something we can go up in the fellowship hall, get three ring binders out, and teach. I mean, you know, who whoever went to a parenting class to learn how to parent, right? They're kind of funny, I know. If you've ever gone to one, they're hilarious. You don't learn to parent by going to some class. You learn to parent, you parent the way your parents parented you. Let's be honest with you. Or if it was a bad experience, then you parent the opposite of how your parents parented you. Right? It's by modeling, by seeing. And in the church of Jesus Christ, we need to have lives lived in such a way that we can build one another, we can help one another, we can encourage one another. Alright, that was my introduction. Let's get to Matthew 28. Matthew 28. It was a lot longer than what's on this piece of paper here. Matthew 28 in verse 18. Matthew 28 in verse 18. Page 835 in your pew Bible. Um, I encourage you to turn there. We're going to read these short verses. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to them. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Before Jesus ascended to heaven, he gave his disciples a mission, that is to make disciples. It was clear. They had a great commission and the great commandment. The Great Commandment was to love their Lord uh, with all their heart, soul and mind, and to love others, and they were, had a commission. That commission was to make disciples. And we've considered that, we've seen that mission is to make disciples. And what we understand here, I'm going to kind of hone in on uh, verses 19 and 20 today. I'm going to kind of hone in there on those three things. and uh, I think Jesus' point is this, is that every faithful follower of Jesus, every faithful disciple of Jesus Christ, is a disciple maker. By intentionally helping others follow Jesus in their life. So if you claim the name of Christ today. If you claim to be a Christian today. If you say, I'm following Jesus. Well, there ought to be a whole host of people following behind you. To faithfully follow Jesus is that you have people following you in your life as you follow him. As you're following Jesus, you've invited people intentionally into your life in order to help them along their journey in following Again, it's not about us. It's not about building a name for us, not building followers for us, but followers for the Lord Jesus Christ. So how are we to do this? How are we to make disciples? Well, I think our text, Jesus outlines it very clearly for us here. We're to go, we're to baptize, and we are to teach. In our English translations there, you might think the main imperative, the main verb, the main main thrust, the main command that Jesus has there is go. And oftentimes that's how this is communicated, that this passage is used as sort of a call to global missions. And clearly it is there. But the main command in this passage is in verse 19, and it is make disciples. Uh, That is the main command Jesus has for his disciples is to make disciples. Make disciples. Now, going go is, is front-loaded in the sentence because in the original language it is at the beginning of the sentence. And so translators try to honor that structure of the original language and they, they front-load it. And it has a command, in imperative kind of uh, um, command to it, right? Go, right? Uh, you know, it, it's go, right? Make disciples. Go, make disciples. Go do it, right? Um, and, and so some Some are confused by that, but I just want to point out that go really falls under, goes underneath, make disciples. So it could be like this. Make disciples as you are going, baptizing them, and teaching them. You see that sort of three-part going, baptizing, and teaching. That three-part structure is what was going to kind of give our sermon this morning structure as we think about those three things. So first, we must carefully and intentionally go with the gospel. We must carefully and intentionally go with the gospel. Um, we have to do it carefully. That is, that in the disciple-making process, we have to be careful who we invite to follow Jesus. Why would you say that? What what passage of Scripture are you thinking about? Well, I'm thinking about what Jesus said uh, on in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, Do not throw your pearls to pigs. When, when Jesus said... On the Sermon on the Mount, do not throw your pearls to pigs. What he means is don't waste your time with the wrong people. There are some people in this world who will claim the name of Jesus but are unteachable. Who say they want to follow Jesus but are unwilling to submit to Jesus. Don't waste your time with them. Find someone who's teachable. Be careful in inviting people to follow you. So, who's someone that you could choose? Who's someone in your life... Well, I think family members is like the, the kind of the prime ground, right? One, you kind of have a captive audience in them, right? Uh, they can't go nowhere. Uh, they, you know, if, if they're your children or your grandchildren or, or perhaps your spouse or something, then where are they going to go, right? You've got them, right? And, and so uh, you, can, you can do that. So, so today, if you're your grandma or great-grandma, right, great-grandfather, right, you can spend time, right, discipling your grandchildren, by inviting them to follow Jesus. By you modeling before them what it means. And so the next time they come home and they're, they're whining about school. The next time they're whining to you about, you know, oh man, I hate going to school and I hate learning. And I, you know, all this, stuff. So I just want to have fun, right? You can sit down and have a good, gospel centered conversation, a biblical conversation about how Jesus has commanded us to work. How works a good thing, not a bad thing. Those are some examples that you could do. Um, I think husbands here play a particularly important role uh, in leading in the family. So if you are a Christian uh, dad, a uh, husband, you need to model that well. You need to model disciple-making among your children, even your lost children. Look, my children don't know Jesus, but I'm still sharing Jesus with them, right? Uh, just a clue, just a heads up on, in case you didn't know this, maybe you've been in church for a while. Pastors' kids are not by default Christians. So just, just to be clear there, right? We heard an amen from a former one back there, right? Um, right? Uh, she's testifying for us this morning. Um, where else? Where else can we begin to find disciples? Maybe you're like, nah, there's nobody at home. You know, it's just me. Nobody really there. Well, friends, right here is the prime place, right? Membership of the local church provides the relational collateral for that covenant community to, to happen, right? We are covenanting together. We're saying that, look, we're brothers and sisters. And so this should be the regular context for disciples. There are folks in here, maybe not here today, that someone you can reach out to, the disciple. Someone who says, hey, I want to follow Jesus, but they're struggling. And you know one of the ways you can find someone struggling to follow Jesus? If you're here every week and they're not, and they claim to be following Jesus, well, friend, you've just found someone you can help follow Jesus, right? Uh, Clearly, their non-attendance is evidence of their lack of following Jesus. Their inability to be here present indicates a heart issue in their own lives. Now, I'm not saying those that are away on vacation or something like that, but the ones that are in and out, not here, inconsistent in their lives, well, friend, just get into their lives and help them follow Jesus. Look, non-attendance to church is just the tip of the iceberg of really what's going on in their life. That's fruit of something much deeper, and perhaps even a heart that does not believe the gospel. What about the sovereignty of God, just trusting? There are people in your lives that I have no access to, that the majority of the members in this room have no access to. you have relational collateral with people that, that I don't ever know. Maybe those are people that you could help to follow Jesus. It begins by sharing the gospel with them and saying, look, do you want to believe this message that I've given my life to? I will help you follow this God if you will allow me. Think about the strategic people that you have in life, in your life, Invite them in. Choose someone. But be careful in doing that. Uh, Not only must we be careful, we have to be intentional. That is, our we must intentionally go to others with the gospel. We must have some sort of clear goals. We're not just having, you know, developing best friends here. We're developing disciples for Jesus Christ. Uh, Friendship is a good thing. We can we can lean into that, that. But but what we understand is we want to do them spiritual good. It's not about us just giving them life wisdom, like, you know, from our awesome lives that we've lived. You know, let me, let me give you uh, some of my uh, proverbs that I've learned over life. But that's not what disciple making is about. That may be a part of it. But clearly, our hope is to do them spiritual good, to point them to Jesus, to help them follow Jesus, right? So we're not inviting people to build into ourselves, right? So as a pastor, one of the last things I want to do is, is to build a culture in our church where if I'm gone, the place crumbles. So oh, this place should thrive with or without me, right? So so this place should 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 coexist without just sort of one person, right? Why? Because Jesus should be that one person that is is the glue that holds this thing together. And we're not merely mentoring people, right? Disciple making isn't just merely mentoring. Mentor mentoring is is sort of a secular idea, although it is very close. It's sort of akin to um, disciple making. Right? Our goal isn't merely behavior modification. That's what mentoring is about, uh, behavior modification or, or learning some particular skill or trait. Uh, we call that apprenticeship. Uh, that's not what we're looking to do in disciple making. I'm not looking to take Vince and change his behavior, You know, make him a good Christian. That's not my hope. My goal is to pre- for Vince to glorify God in his life through certain things. Right? So our aim then is transformation not behavior modification, right? Because behavior modification only lasts as long as you're in their life. You want to transform their life, and transformation occurs through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've experienced it, and we want to help others experience the same. And friends, I just want to stress again that going with the gospel of Jesus Christ is what it means to be a disciple. I I, I, I say that a million times to people all the time, because if you're not doing this, then you cannot claim to be faithfully following Jesus. Now, you may be following Jesus, but you're just not being faithful. Okay, so what we're trying to do is get the ship turned around to where we're going in a faithful direction in a true way. So consider what Paul tells Timothy. In First Timothy, this is just a great classic verse. If you want to really see this, and we're going to look at Titus in a moment. If you really want to see what life on life ministry looks like, you go to First and Second Timothy and you see it there. You see hours, you see months and years of, of of Paul discipling Timothy, fleshed out in those words. But but here's what he says in First Timothy four: Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them, so that everyone may see your good progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Paul is exhorting Timothy, a pastor of a local church, a pastor there in Ephesus, to be uh, one who lives a life of morally uh, praiseworthy, one who is growing in the gospel of grace, one whose life could be emulated, because if he will emulate an honorable life, then he will save his hearers. And so in our lives, it's, a, it's sort of a call to live in holiness. Look, if you're going to make disciples, it's going to do one thing. It's going to keep you accountable. May I just say one really quick note? Regardless of whether or not you think you're actively making disciples, friend, I want you to know you are making disciples. If people know you're following Jesus, you are telling them, What Jesus is like every time you do something or say something or think something. Our lives reflect who Jesus is. Disciples will not be made if we are unwilling to take that message and to help and invite others into our lives. Let's look at the second thing Jesus gives to us. Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We must constantly, or excuse me, consistently show the gospel message through baptism. Baptism is the display of the gospel in our lives. We want to lift high baptism in our congregations. Why? Because there's where we see repentance and faith. Right? Repentance and faith isn't something you do when you walk an aisle. Repentance and faith is something you do when you exemplify it in baptism. Baptism is the place where you declare Jesus is Lord. It is the place where if you do, you might die, as it was in the early church. That's where it was. And as you look at the book of Acts, you see that every time the disciples share the message of the gospel, every time they proclaim that message, very quickly behind that, what came? Baptism. Why? Because baptism was not something that saved it's not something that, that, that cleanses us. So we don't believe in regenerate baptism. We don't believe that baptism saves you, that by going underwater you, you become regenerate. No, we believe regenerate people are baptized. Those who have professed faith in Christ are the ones who are baptized. Consider one example of Peter. He preaches that amazing sermon in Acts 2. I mean, people are weeping. It's so amazing. It's one of those, when well, the Spirit of God descends on the place and the people cry out, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? What do we do? God's wrath has come upon us. What shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. Right? See, baptism flows out of a repentant life. One who has professed faith and turned from their sins and trusted him is one who is baptized. And so, this morning, if you claim to be a follower of Christ and have never been baptized, Why do you continue to disobey Him? Why do you continue to disobey Him? Clearly, He says the disciples of Jesus Christ are baptized. Well, let's move on then to this final message as we are running out of time this morning. Thirdly, we must faithfully teach others how to obey the gospel. We must teach others how to obey the gospel. We want to understand that transformation comes through teaching and obedience. Right? The goal is transformation. Jesus says here, teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Right. So we think, what are we supposed to teach, Jesus? What, what, what's our message? What, what are we teaching? Jesus doesn't leave it up for our own invention. He says, teach them, notice what he says, to observe. Observe has sort of a twofold aspect to it, doesn't it? Obedience, right? So, so obedience and observation of it. So they not only know it, but they do it. right? So, so again, we're not just inviting people just to like do some things. Like, hey, come in and you need to do some things. No, first and foremost, we want people to know something. Do you ever consider that most of our service is spent in the passive position? In the sense that you're not doing anything but thinking. Not that you're passive, but you're thinking. Right? You're not speaking. You're you're being educated. You're being taught. You're learning something. The exhortation to read your Bible. The exhortation to sit down and to open your Bible and to read. What are you doing in that? You are learning about God. You are seeking to know Him. But I know the problem is, is that a lot of times we approach Bible intake, sermon listening, as some sort of means to gain head knowledge rather than heart transformation. Right? And so we we'll often talk about the guy who knows the Bible but doesn't know the God of the Bible. What a tragic place that is. He knows everything. You could quote chapter and verse. I mean, just intelligent, smart, wise. But it's a fool. Because he does not know God. This is where we fall short in our teach- teaching. All we seek to do is, is communicate like data dump. Just drop a bunch of junk on people. Oh, let me tell you about Jesus. We, we talk about Jesus like he is the joy kill of our lives. You know, you're going to lose some things. You can't do that anymore, and you got to stop that. You ever, you ever notice that when people evangelize? They always start with, you got to stop doing something. Well, friend, that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't say, hey, clean yourself up and come to me. The gospel of Jesus Christ says, come to me, and I will clean you. And so we understand that when we impart knowledge, when we impart information, our goal is transformation. That's our aim. That's our goal. Uh, This morning, our desire in the sermon is for you not only to know God, but be known by Him. And know Him all the more fully. Uh, Your life should be a progressive growth in the knowledge of God. And when you're helping others follow Jesus, part of that is knowledge. But knowledge is insufficient. If we're not taking the knowledge we know that God is holy and implementing that by living holy lives, well, there's a disconnect in our lives. If we know that God is good, but yet we constantly doubt God's goodness, there's a disconnect, and we don't really believe that. There's a, there's a faith di- dimension of that. Friends, it's like a teacher who lectures his students week in and week out on ethical standards, but lives an unethical life and does unethical things. Right? His message doesn't match his life. Brothers and sisters, may our message match our lives. How often pastors and deacons, and Sunday school teachers, and they know their stuff. They know it cold. They're good. You, it can quote it. But that message is never transformed. Friends, there's many churches that have pastors that are not Christians. And they may be conservative churches, <laughs> No, but they do not obey. So what Jesus is saying, and that's part of following me and inviting others to follow, is this obedience aspect. So in discipling, what we're doing is helping others. Look, if there's a struggle in your life, it would be best to help. Get help, and to help others. You know, if you've struggled with something small like, like alcohol, better way than to help another brother or sister in Christ who struggles with that same thing and help them follow Christ. Or as we talked about earlier, I mean, what it would look like if if you would just invite, you know, maybe a, a young lady into your home, ladies, as you're doing the laundry and doing dishes and just tell her, help Ask questions. Let her ask you questions. Guys, instead of organizing our lives in such a way where it's all about us, why don't we give some of that time away to to, to other men? who We could say, hey, I'm going to be running an errand today. Why don't you just hop in the car with me while I run that errand? And while we're running the errand, we'll just talk about life. And we'll talk about what it looks like to follow Jesus. I know there's so many of you. There's many of you I've, I've talked to, and you do that so well. Open your life up to others. We must model for others the ordinary life, not the extraordinary. That's what we're doing, just modeling the everyday life, what it means to follow Jesus. I want you to look at one passage uh, in Titus, Titus 2, and we'll kind of wrap up here. Uh, No probably other place in the Bible outside of the Gospels do you have a more clearer picture of this one-on-one life ministry of making disciples than you do in Titus 2. Titus 2, there's much here to think about. We, we spent a Wednesday, uh, we spent 15 Wednesdays looking at chapter 2, almost four months thinking about this. Titus 2 is really a picture of, of life on life discipling, what it means to disciple others. Notice here, Paul writes, but as for you Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. So, so notice here, teach. Teach, he says. You're you're to teach, right? Just like Jesus said. Jesus says you're to teach them, right? Now, notice then what happens as that teaching happens, as the regular sermon is applied, what happens in verse 2. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older men are to be a model. Right? Of of the Christian life. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaved to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And here it is. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children. Who's who's a mom in here who didn't need a little help on Monday morning loving children? Right? I'm a dad and I need help on Sunday morning loving children. Right? Right? Loving children. Train. To to train the young women to love their... Right? And friends, this isn't happening at Sunday school. This isn't happening at discipleship. This is happening when you're ready to strangle your own kid and you help that young lady by showing her how to love a kid that's not lovable. So train young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the Word of God may be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects. Here, here's, here it is back on the pastor, the elders modeling this. Uh, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. So that an opponent may not put you to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. A bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters and everything. That is, hey, when you go to your job, the way you work tells, other about, tells others about your Savior. There to be well pleasing, not argumentative. Not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Saviour. The way we live our lives adorns the gospel. You are either putting people off or attracting people through your life. So, friends, there are many other practical things we could think about as we apply this to our lives. But friends, it begins by us going. By, by saying, you know what, I want to do this. I want to learn how to do this. I want to be intentional in my life to make disciples. I want to deliberately find someone who I can just slowly, over a few weeks, that may look like you getting a book of the Bible, opening up to Colossians, and saying, hey, would you, would you want to meet with me weekly? Just read through Colossians together. Uh, we'll think about what it means and try to apply it to our lives. It may be me and you getting a Christian book. Uh, some of our men have been gathering once a month to go through a book on temptation. Friends, all I'm doing there is just opening a book with a group of men and helping them follow Jesus. Uh, and hopefully they'll take that and go do that on their own and help other men. I'm just trying to show them how to use a book to help others follow Jesus. It, it may mean you just gathering together with a, a couple sisters, or a couple of brothers, and just praying together and encouraging one another in the faith. Gospel transformation occurs as di- disciples are made, as they are taught to follow Jesus. Friends, that is our responsibility as a church. Friends, I just pray that we would open our hearts to such tasks. We give ourselves to it regularly, that God would be honored through it, and our lives be transformed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give praise and glory to you in Christ Jesus. We pray that your word would transform our lives, that we would pick up that mantle to make disciples for your glory, that, Lord, we would not be despaired, but know there's forgiveness where we have been neglectful, and that you would empower us in this task.